Hey, well, good morning, good morning, DCF family. Um, we're so glad that you are with us. And um, as you are finding your seats as we get started this morning, um, we just want to welcome you. And when we come together, the one thing that we know for sure is that the Lord delights to be with us. He delights for His presence, His Holy Spirit to move among us, and for us to know how deeply loved we are by Him. And we are in the season um, that is happening right now of Christmas. And uh, this morning, we just want you to sense and know Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with me. Emmanuel, God with you. So will you stand with me this morning? we'll share a little bit more um, of some things that we feel like that are some direction for the service this morning as well, but we're going to worship and we're going to kick off our time together this morning. Heavenly Father, we just come together this morning. Lord, we are so thankful that it has always been in your heart to love us and know us, to be fully known by you, and in that, Lord, to be fully loved by you. God, to be fully redeemed, to be fully restored. God, thank you for your great kindness and your great love for us this morning, Lord. God, we worship you. We honor you. And God, this morning, we set aside every distraction, everything that seems normal, Lord. God, that this morning, God, our hearts are turned to you afresh and anew, Lord. Um, God, as you come and you just anchor things in our heart, anchor in our spirit who you say we are this morning, that we are much loved sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, we bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
uh, while we, we are in prayer earlier, um, I heard God tell me familiar. You know, I stopped to think about that. This season, the Christmas story is very familiar. We all know it. We've heard it. I know I heard it since I can remember. And we can get to the place where we hear the familiar story, but we don't really hear it. That we're praying today that we go beyond the familiar and to the eternal, to what this meant. It meant eternally a, a moment in time that changed our futures, changed our eternity. Christmas is about our Savior, our everything. Without Him, we have no hope. So as we're worshiping, to go beyond the joy of the season, or maybe you're having a struggle, but to go beyond the familiar and to seek the Savior.
this morning, we're going to stay on this song. And um, if you need healing in your body, if you need healing for anything, we're going to ask you to just come to the front. The elders are going to anoint you with oil and pray healing over you. The Bible says if there are any sick among you, call for the elders, anoint them with oil, and they will be healed. So this morning, if you need healing, we want to pray for you. Amen.
no mistake that we're singing the song today. God is a God of specifics. But I'm going to throw them a ball, um, kind of a curveball. Can we sing that chorus again and do it a cappella? Because I think we need to hear ourselves. That we're pleading the blood over ourselves. We're calling out the blood. It's not a plead like, oh God, please do it. He has done it. He has done it. And we're going to have communion today. So see how he's a God of specifics. He puts it all together. Let's just do that little, however you all want to do it. Don't you love it? You're welcome, Sage. provided everything that we needed even more than we've needed we take the time to say thank you and yes we will walk we will walk in that covering the once and for all protection we thank you that you delight in our praise this place is filled with your delight and it is a wonderful love affair Thank you for that, Lord God. You called us to intimacy, but you offered it first. We praise you and we love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can have a seat if you like. You can stand if you like, too. That, that's fine, too. Thank you, worship team. And thanks for uh, going with the change room. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I will say I lived in Turkey when I was a child, and one of the things that they did is they um, sacrificed lambs. And the building that we lived in, we didn't live in a secure place. We lived right in with people, and they would sacrifice lambs right and hang them right from where, be careful of my PG here, right where um, they would drain the blood. And little kids, I was six years old, seeing a lamb that was um, sacrificed for other people. And my parents had to explain that to me. And uh, it took a lot of explaining because I just didn't understand why a lamb had to suffer. And then working on communion, um, I looked at the fact that God took the familiar, like Galen was saying, he took the familiar and he said, you think that's all that was happening is like a Passover meal and a, a family gathering, there's more. And if you, us old farts could say, the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, I think his name. There's more to the story. 
they had to go get lambs when they were under the law, and they had to sacrifice them every year, and they had to remember what was happening and what God had done in the provision. And you know what they did in those families? They had the youngest child, and right now I'm seeing the most amazing little girls over here. I'm like, we're not going to have them do it, but they would have a young child ask questions in that family meal so that they are educated, they are involved, and they participate in saying, what did God do for us? And that's powerful because, like we've always talked about, there is no junior Holy Spirit. We are all in this together. And generationally, God is blessing us because of that, which is exciting. But as we're celebrating the birth of Christ, that would not be enough. We're also celebrating his sacrifice. His sacrifice was huge. In his own humanity, he's like, if it can pass from me, I would love that. But not my will, but yours be done. So we're acknowledging that, that the, the price was precious, and it was worth it to him. It was worth it to the lover of our souls to pay the ultimate price so no more lambs have to be slain. He was the lamb slain, and it is his blood that has, has provided life to us. Um, we're going to do communion a skosh different today. Um, and there are going to be some leaders that have baskets and we've just decided, we've been focusing some on the, the intimacy and community. So we're going to do it a little different. What you're going to see in a minute, that we have leadership in four different areas of um, the sanctuary. And you find the closest one, and we're going to join them for communion. They're going to lead each group. And also, it's a time for more intimate fellowship and intimate prayer. So we, this is an opportunity to take advantage of it where it's not just in the big group. So if you would go ahead now and just find one of these groups and go ahead and jump on over to them, they're going to be leading this part of communion. So this is where you kind of have to get up again and find a group. There's plenty of them around. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful for what communion means. It's the blood of Jesus more than enough. It has paid for every sickness, every disease. It has redeemed us from the curse. And um, so um, this morning, if you're new with us, if you're a guest, we'd love for you to do a connection card. Fill that out on our website, dothancf.com. Get in touch. We'd love to get in touch with you, give you a call, and um, find out a little bit about what's going on in your life and how you connect into the vision and the story of DCF. Um, We are going to be doing testimonies on uh, December the 31st. And so with those testimonies, we are going to have these. We're not giving them out today. So this is like the, the, um, the cliffhanger where you have to come back next week, okay? So, um, but we want to hear what has been breakthrough for you? What has been provision for you? What has the Lord healed in you? Um, where have you seen the Lord's favor? And um, basically kind of like what was the struggle in 2023? Where did you see the breakthrough? And then like... What do you now know about God, about who he is? What do you know about his character and his nature um, and who he is for you? And then also, we're going to be saying, what are you trusting the Lord for in 2024? So be thinking about some of those, and then we will have these ready for you next week to get posted up. And then um, uh, we want to see what some of these are. We're going to be doing a panel on December the 31st, and we want to be sharing some of these great testimonies that you've had throughout the year. So... 
um, this coming up Friday, who is ready to watch Elf and kind of have some connection and fun? It's, this is family time, y'all. Um, holidays are all about family time, and this is DCF family time together. It's dinner and a movie, intermission. Thistle and Dixie Flower Bar is going to have a hot cocoa bar for everybody to enjoy, and um, it's 10 bucks. Here's the kicker. You need to sign up. Because if you don't sign up, I don't know how much pizza to get. So, but I need everyone to sign up so that we know what to, how to plan for that evening. Um, kids do a cardboard box. Um, it's fun for them. That uh, it's a cardboard box car, and we're going to turn the front in here up here like a drive-in movie for them. And um, if you want to do the ugly sweater competition for the adults, we'll be doing that as well. And so we'd love for y'all to just invite other friends, co-workers, connect, bring them into community, bring them into belonging. The holidays can be some of the hardest time of the year. And so we want people to feel like they belong in family because they really, really do. And that is the heart of the Lord for us here as well as um, those that we are connected to in our sphere of influence. So be sure and invite someone Next week, we're going to have our kids. They're going to be doing the sing-along and the Christmas party. And so we've been practicing for the last few weeks, so we're going to have something special. You can invite parents, grandparents, friends, coworkers. It's another, you know, maybe a family that's not a part of it. Bring them. The kids can be a part of it as well. So we're looking forward to that. Um, Generous giving, you know, it's the end of the year as you're considering, like, you know, what do I need to give at the end of the year? Um, there's ways to do that on DothanCF.com um, as well as in the box up front. And um, at year-end giving is by December the 31st for if you want it to be counted for taxes for this year, okay? Um, we have a video that we want to show you. Um, you know, we, we're doing the Christmas Hope alongside Fostering Hope. We sponsored kids throughout the Wiregrass area and region. And so we just want to give you all a little bit of a snapshot of what you contributed, okay? Hey, DCF family, we just wanted to give you a quick update of all of the goodies that you have been so generous with for Fostering Hope. We know that these kids are going to be opening up these presents on Christmas morning, and it is going to be filled with so much joy, so much hope, and just knowing how deeply loved they are. Um, that they are loved by the Heavenly Father, and they are also loved by people in this community who um, support Fostering Hope and Wiregrass area. So we are just so thankful again for your generosity, and I hope this makes you smile because it made me smile when we were gathering it and bringing it and getting it together to take the to Fostering Hope today. Bless you guys, and we love you. Bye. We're going to dismiss our kids and our youth. Youth are going to be going with Callie over to the right. Our kids are going to be going with Mark and Suzette to the back. And then David's going to be continuing his series on A Savior is Born um, in this holiday season. All right, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to jump off into. Uh, last week, we talked about joy. We talked about how there's an anticipation um, that we can actually have because all of the things for believers that bring us joy, Jesus and what he paid for on the cross, is already ours. We don't have to wait for it. We don't have to wait like Christmas, anticipation, anticipating opening the present. Those presents have already been made available to us. And so I want to talk today a little bit about humility. And uh, I want to start with Luke. Luke chapter 2 tells a little bit more of the Christmas story than uh, Matthew did. And so uh, when he tells the story, he, he's telling from, he's very specific about the things that he says. Luke's really interesting. He wrote um, the Gospel of Luke, and then he also wrote the book of Acts. 
And some people believe it, it was really ultimately meant to be one book. Like, like Luke and then Acts were just kind of two chapters of the same book. Um, the story of Jesus and what he did in training up his disciples and his ministry and his miracles and the signs and the wonders and the cross. And then moving into the church age and what that looked like. What Jesus came to do in making those disciples and then how now that story continues as the disciples are making new disciples as we move forward. Which is supposed to continue literally until he comes back. And so uh, Luke goes into a lot of detail. He was a doctor, so he was probably very specific about everything he wrote. Uh, very interesting. You can track history through Luke. You can go back. One of the ways we know the Bible is true is because he names names. Um, he gives dates and times. And so we can check that. That's 2,000 years, uh, years ago, written in antiquity. So just think about that for a second. But he, made, he took great pains to make sure we could understand all this. And so he writes this passage in Luke 2, 21 through 52. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a whole lot of Scripture. But I do encourage you to go read it because there's something powerful. I think Galen was talking about it. It was mentioned during prayer time as well about how so, it's so easy to get caught up in the familiarity of Christmas, the familiarity of church, the familiarity of what God's doing. And, and one reason why God does some of the things that he does um, that are hard to explain sometimes is because God doesn't want you to follow a book. He wants you to be in a relationship with him, right? So all the other religions in the world, you can do it on your own. You just follow the rules and do it. <laughs> in Christianity, you can't do that. You actually have to have a savior. You need a savior who can reconcile you with the father so you and the father can now have a relationship. That's the whole point of Christianity is not so you just get everything right and you just be good from now on. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, God goes through great pains in the Gospels to explain that it's not moving from bad to good, but it's moving from being dead to alive. Those are different concepts. And, and so often we get the Gospel wrong because we think it's about either you know, being bad and then being good. And so then we're trying our hardest to be good. And then we, we recognize when we read the Bible, we go back in the entire law, the entire law and the prophets, the Bible says, you know, that, that speaks of Jesus. That law was designed to show you that you can't be good. <laughs> so just let that sink in for a second. Now, here's how it, one, one reason why it gets so confusing is because uh, you can be gooder than other people. So uh, one of the best analogies I ever heard was, um, it's, imagine yourself standing at the Grand Canyon, uh, not like Chevy Chase in the Christmas movie, <laughs> but you take a little bit of time, you're standing there, you're, realize, you're realizing in some parts of that it's over a mile wide, right? You can see it to the other side uh, on a good day, but it's a mile wide. And so we, we, I did it when I was there, I watched other people do it. You, you pick up a rock, there's hardly any left on the top because we throw them all, but you pick up a rock and you're like, I'm going to throw this rock to the other side of the Grand Canyon. Now, here's the thing. I might throw it farther than you. You might throw it farther than me. But let's be honest, neither one of us are going to hit the other side of the Grand Canyon. And that's the picture, I think, so often that what we do is, you know, we, we justify, if I can be better than someone else, then I'm, then I'm actually good. But that, again, the Bible goes through tremendous pains to teach you that that's just not true. And so it isn't that you can't be good. It just, it just means the Bible just teaches that you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it in your own strength. Because the whole idea from the enemy was to separate us from God and make us independent. Now, that presents a major problem to you and I as Americans. Most of us are Americans in here. And, you know, and we, you know to, to this day, I was stationed in England. And uh, on, on the 4th of July, I made it a point to wear my colors everywhere I went in England and, you know, and say something mean about the Tea Party that caused this whole problem. 
And, and all, I mean, I would just pick on the British, right? <laughs> because I'm, I'm independent. I'm an American. I'm John Wayne. You know, in my head, I'm John Wayne. I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. You know, this is a picture of independence. And the Bible teaches something totally different, which is tough for us as Americans. It, it teaches interdependence, right? That, that I'm interdependent on God. God wanted me, so he made a way where there was no way. So it's not like I don't matter. So, and that's really important. We're going to get into this a little bit in, in this story. So Luke goes through, and, he, and he, he goes through great pains to say some things, but often because of our own familiarity in Scripture, and especially with the Christmas story, we miss it. So I'm just going to read two passages, one on the front side of the story and one on the back side, and then I'm just going to do some explanation, and you can go back and read the whole passage yourself. This is Luke 2, 21. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So, so it's telling the story of something, uh, just a natural thing, the whole story of, of them having to go because of the, the census. All of these things are natural, um, natural things that this family had to go through. They were a family like any other family. The whole story of Joseph, we're not going to get into it, but the whole the story of Joseph wanting to put Mary away privately didn't mean he was, he was casting her out. He, he was going to divorce her without making a big stir because he didn't want shame and condemnation to come on Mary because obviously he really liked her. And so all these are, this is a story of what their culture looked like, what the law was requiring of them and all those things. And the story finishes up, at least the part we're telling today, in verse 39 and 40. And it says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law. So that's why I put this scripture. They, everything that was required of them, they did it. So they did their part, right? Everything that was required by the law of the land, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So remember where they were, and they come back. And it says, and the child grew, and this is talking about Jesus, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So, so there's this, again, their beautiful picture. It tells the story uh, a little bit after that of Jesus actually going back at, at, at the age of 12 and astounding the teachers of the law at 12 years age. Uh, 12, year, 12 years of age. And so one of the challenges we talk about in, in the Christmas story is we just leave it at the baby stage, right? Um, like uh, uh, the Talladega Nights, you know, the, the, the <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, the right way to say this because the moment you bring that up, you're like, you can't say that when you're preaching, right? But Talladega Nights tells the story of Southern culture. Let's be honest, okay? It's a parody, of course, but I recognize my whole upbringing in that movie, and I love the part where he says, I like the baby Jesus. The baby Jesus is my favorite Jesus, right? And so often we do that. We pick a stage or we pick a Jesus that we like. And Jesus, if you notice in the story of the Gospels, was constantly, constantly surprising people. Like he would just do stuff. They're like, you know, the, even the disciples were like, I, could you just write out a pattern? Could you give us a list of what we're going to go to? And Jesus is like, listen, I'm following the voice of the Father. And, and by doing this, I'm trying to teach you to do the same thing. Like you guys just keep wanting a book of rules and a list so you don't need a relationship with God. And what I'm trying to tell you is that is absolutely 100% the wrong way of doing that. You've had that for a long time now in the law. How's that working out for you? right? And the answer is it's not working at all. So he's trying to teach them. And so God is constantly surprising us. And so as we go into this story today, I hope that there's some revelation in some of these things that maybe you've never seen before. All of us have heard the Christmas story. But part of this is I want God to surprise you a little bit the way he was, he's really good at. So part of this story, as you go into this, as we get into this, you're going to see that there's an interesting hap thing happening. Um, it's a very unconventional 
um, arrival, for lack of a better term, okay? Jesus showing up and everything that began to happen was constantly causing people to be in consternation, right? They were just amazed all the time. And so here's a, 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 the story begins with ordinary humans beginning to move into a supernatural context. So the truth is, if, as you follow the story, um, it, it intertwines. The supernatural and the natural begin to intertwine, and they're weaving in and out on a regular basis. And part of why I want to do this is I want to remind you that God has not changed whatsoever. He is still doing that today. God is still moving in the natural arena. He gave you a brain. He expected you to actually use it. But he wanted your brain to be submitted to something greater, right? So your brain's not in charge. If your brain's in charge, you're already in trouble, especially if you have a really big one. Really big brain people get in the worst kinds of trouble. Right? Um, and so what, what's happening here is God's saying, I want to teach you something about how I work in and among you. There is no separation between the supernatural and the natural. And one of the big problems in the world today, especially in church world, is we are constantly talking about, you know, the secular and, you know, and the not secular, right? The secular, secular and the holy. And there in God's world, there's no, no difference whatsoever in a person's life in the secular and the holy. They are intertwined and they are working in and out all the time. So there could be moments of just pure natural that move right into something supernatural. There are moments of supernatural that you, you, you finish something that you're like, my life will never be the same again, and I'm going to set up a holy place, and we're going to build a temple. You know, and you see the disciples doing this. Then the next thing you know, you have a hike that you got to get back, like these guys had to get back to Nazareth and carry on with life as it has always been. you got to show up to work on, on Monday morning. The, there's constantly an intertwining between these two. So let's start with the story where Mary and Joseph go and they, they present themselves to, uh, um, in, in Jerusalem, this is, um, or sorry, in, in the place where, where they are having to pay for the, the certain kinds of uncleanness, and so we'll kind of get into the details of it. So Jesus is a male child, so this is according to the law. Jesus is a male child, so they were required to circumcise him on the eighth day. Now we can get into that later if you like. We talked about that in the law and some of the things that that mean means, but ultimately what it was saying is this is a requirement that the law has put on you. You don't have an option. So they bring him to, um, to the temple, and uh, they name him Jesus, the Bible says, because just like Gabriel said, so supernatural, you know, God's telling them what the name's going to be. Um, and then the Bible says after they do this, Mary remains un, uh, unclean for 40 days. Again, this is according to the law. What's interesting is if it was a girl, she was unclean for 80 days. Now, we can go in and talk about that uh, and how that relates in the law, but what I got out of it is women take twice as long. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> but at the end of the 40 days, they, they, she's clean now, and so they present themselves, uh, present the firstborn. The Bible says he's claimed by God. So again, he's going back, and they're following all these things, a lot of this that you don't even know they're doing. But Luke is going through great pains to talk about what they're doing following the natural uh, uh, requirements of the law. Um, the, the Bible doesn't talk about them paying the payment for this firstborn child, but probably, almost certainly, they do that. Because, again, they were following the law. And so there was a, a five-shekel requirement of, of them to pay for the firstborn son to redeem him back from God. Because remember the Passover, the firstborn belongs to God, and it goes into a lot of detail about that. So in every single detail of the story, there's literally a sermon or a sermon series that you could process. So, so much in this passage. So for Mary to be clean, she, had, she and Joseph have to offer a lamb. The problem with that is they can't afford a lamb. So the Bible makes, uh, you know, the law made uh, some allowances for that. So they were allowed, because they couldn't afford a lamb, they were allowed to, to 
uh, offer turtle doves. And so one of the challenges you see in modern religion is that Mary was perfect, right? Mary was sinless. You, see, you hear this in certain aspects of, you know, some, some parts of Christianity, that Mary was 100% sinless, except for she offered turtle doves for her uncleanness and her sin. So, so some of the challenges, again, religion is going to tell you things sometimes that the Bible absolutely pushes back on, so there's no way for that to happen. But if you never read your Bible, guess what happens? You follow the culture, and you miss everything that God's trying to talk to you about, where the kingdom overlays the, cult, the, the culture. The culture should not uh, come through in areas that, that, that aren't true. Right, so in our southern culture, we joke about it, and we're really kind and we're really nice. But if we're honest, sometimes that leads to you get home after the party and you're like, I'm pretty sure that lady insulted me. But it took, you know, 45 minutes for, because it was so kind and dripping with honey and all that. Like, I don't think that was the right way to do that. So it can be passive aggressive. Southern culture can be passive aggressive. That's not okay. And so the kindness part is the part that comes through and says, hey, God's kindness is actually what leads us to repentance. So we celebrate that in the Southern culture, but we also push back against, hey, that thing that you call kindness that's actually passive-aggressive, that's not okay. So maybe stop doing that, right? See how that works. So uh, again, we, we go through and see all these things that are happening. So they can't afford a lamb, so they were poor. So, so keeping this in mind, God did not choose a queen to have the Son of God. He, he chose a poor young woman who was probably in her mid-teens uh, from a backwater, you know, backwoods, tiny little village that had no significance outside of the significance that God gave to it. And so part of what we see in this is God's really not concerned so much with a lot of things that you and I are concerned with, right? What you and I can call important, often God goes, ah, you know, I really don't think that's important at all. And some things that we would say are not important at all, God would say, I celebrate that. And so part of us as believers growing and maturing in the Lord is learning to align ourselves with the things that concern God and less with the things that concern ourselves in the world. So there's another aspect of this. So we see this normal, natural, following the law and the culture of their time. And then the supernatural jumps in and it just, matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even go to great lengths to just go, hey, I want to give you a trigger warning. Here comes some supernatural for you cessationists out there, right? Doesn't do it. He just like, get over yourself. Here it comes, right? So a couple of things happen. So while jo Joseph and Mary are in the temple, they meet a man named Simeon. Now, Simeon's a really, really interesting guy for a whole lot of reasons. Simeon was a prophet. The Bible didn't really go to a lot of uh, uh, pains to call him that. But what you see is this is what he did. But what's interesting is we don't see him prophesying to anybody else. So we don't know that he did or didn't. We just know that one of the things God did is put something inside of him a prophetic call to actually prophesy, if to nobody else, he was going to prophesy to this couple, this young couple, right? So uh, the story is he's devout and he's looking for the Messiah. Um, scripture, again, is really, it's really amazing how it says it and how it goes into this. His lifetime was longing and looking and praying and waiting for the Messiah to come. So he's at the temple on a regular basis. He's got some ideas about how this is going to occur. The Bible says that God put his spirit inside him. Remember, this is still Old Testament. Even though it's in the New Testament, Jesus has not yet died on the cross. And so this is still a picture of the Old Testament. People under the law doing law things, but at the same time, God moving in powerful ways. So he says of this child, so again, he's righteous, he's devout, he's looking for the Messiah. And he's been told by the Spirit of God that he will not die until he sees something. And it's a really interesting phrase. Until he sees the consolation of Israel. 
So again, all these little details. So what is the consolation of Israel? It's actually a reference to Messiah's promised comfort for the nation. And he is the one who will remove sorrow and make all things right. So this has been a promise that has been promised from the prophets. We covered that in the first message in the series, that these signs are coming. These prophecies are coming. And so this is what we've been seeing. He says, this young, this baby is the consolation. He gives him the name. You know, his name is Jesus. But the Bible says also, you know, he's been given other names. He's given the name Emmanuel. It's like, well, why didn't they call him Emmanuel? They call him Jesus. Well, why didn't they call him Consolation of Israel? It's a name of the Messiah that Jesus, this is who he is. So again, he is the redeemer of all things. So for them, again, in Israel, the concept was narrowed down to he is going to be the redeemer of Israel. So now Israel is in this place where they've been conquered by uh, other nations. They're in submission to secular kingdom. In some ways, it's no different than we are right now as a nation. We have long stopped being a Christian nation. And, and not because we're, our, we're not Christians. There's always going to be the Christian influence in the nations in the same way this is happening. God really doesn't care who thinks they're in charge. Because <laughs> he shows up with the, the greatest news that's ever going to exist in the Messiah. And I promise you there was a Caesar sitting somewhere who thought he was God. So God's not impressed with anything that's going on in our culture, nor should you be. doesn't mean you're not wise, but you shouldn't be moved by it. You should be moved by what God's saying, by what, what God's doing. So somehow in this process, the Bible says that he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then he, God, the Holy Spirit tells him or spurs him to come to the temple at just the right time for this baby to show up. Remember the timing was very specific on the eighth day. So it's coming to this place, 40 days of, of uncleanness. So it's coming to this moment. And these two stories intersect. And that's how God works in your life and how God works in my life. I tell people all the time when they're like dreaming a big dream, I remind them that the way God fulfills the dream in your life is through the intersection of humanity. Relationships are how God does what he does. So if you're dreaming, because I, I used to do this as a kid, you know, I, I grew up outside of Birmingham and Birmingham is the largest city in our state, which is amazing, but compared to most other cities, it's a small city. So I just dream one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to move out of this one horse town and I'm, you know, and I'm going to move to a bigger horse town, whatever it looks like. So we moved to, you know, to Atlanta, which is a five-horse town. It's five million instead of one million. And it turns out I was still the same. <laughs> All, any problems or issues I hadn't let the Lord deal with me about in that one-horse town got carried by four more horses into the next town. Y'all see how that works? So, so it's just a reminder. The issue is never where you are. It's never the issue of the circumstances around you. They will tell you something that may or may not be true. You just have to decide who are you going to believe. And so it's interesting in me, and what I see is the moment Jesus gets involved in the situation, how many coincidences begin to stack up. You ever notice that? Like how God does these supernatural things, and the danger and the challenge for you and I is so often we forget about it. That's why the Bible says to remember. You know, we did that this morning, and I made a point about um, do this in remembrance of him. Why did, why did Jesus say, you know what, I want you to do this practically on a regular basis. I'm not going to give you a specific time, but when you do it, do this in remembrance of me. Why do you think he did that? Because we all forget. 
So he's like, I, I understand the frailties of human nature. We're going to get to that in just a second. So because of that, I'm going to put some things in play. And so when he tells us these stories, he's not telling us these stories so we can make a cartoon out of it and set our kids in front of it, right? He's not, he's not making these stories so kids can sing and they can do their little cantata or whatever, and we pat them on their little, you know, innocent, immature heads. They don't know any better, but we're sophisticated because we're adults and we know all the things. Turns out Jesus said it's actually different than that. The kids are the ones who have faith, so maybe learn from them. They just take things because I said it. Maybe you could do that as well. So that was for free. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> so um, Simeon is afforded this incredible privilege. He tells, God tells him, he says, Simeon, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you will not die until you see the consolation of Israel, until you see the Messiah. So imagine you have that promise. And the Bible doesn't tell us when he got it. So did he get it, you know, 15 minutes ago? He'd been praying, and, you know, he's an older man, and he's praying, he's trusting the Lord, and the Lord said, hey, by the way, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah, and then 10 minutes later, the Messiah shows up. Do you think that is how that happened? <laughs> and the answer is probably not. I would imagine, more than likely, Simeon got this early in his life, and the question was, well, what does that even mean? I don't know. And he had been contemplating and working through that and pressing into that. And as each birthday came and went, and, and each year came and went, and he was at the temple, and he didn't see the Messiah, and he was, he was back over here, and then he came back, and he didn't. How that anticipation would rise, and maybe some doubt, and did I really hear the Lord? And it, it, did, the, did God really say? And the enemy comes in the, with that lie, and now he's older, and he's like, man, I Lord, you're going to hurry up. I don't have a whole lot of time. <laughs> I hope the Messiah is coming soon because this last birthday, it took everything I could to blow the candles out, right? <laughs> I don't think they did that, but you get my point, right? And so again, in these stories, there's so much richness wrapped up in the longing for something that we haven't yet seen. And it seems to be a theme that we see in Christmas over and over and over again. Why? Because so often the problem isn't that God is unfaithful. The truth is he, he really isn't and he never will be. The problem is we don't understand the way God does what God does. We want to do this, and this is what we constantly do. Um, the phrase is anthropomorphize, <laughs> and it's a horrible phrase, and it just means to make something like a man. And, and that's idolatry, ultimately, in Scripture, is to make God like us. And the Bible goes, again, so many different passages, goes after this concept and says, I am altogether not like you. Now, why would he do that? Because the, tr the problem is, in this natural world, we tend to think of God like the natural world. So we give him attributes. You know, he's, he's not all-knowing. He's just smarter than us, <laughs> right? He's not, he's, he's not all-powerful. He's just really powerful. We just, we, we limit. What we do in our own minds is, if we're not careful, is we tend to limit God to the natural thing because we want to wrap our hands around him, wrap our minds around him, and understand him. And I heard an apologist say one time that it was so helpful to me. He said, you will never understand God in this life, but you can apprehend him. And then he told the story of a chihuahua chasing a bus. What do you do when you catch the bus? Right? And the answer is the chihuahua, first of all, is never going to catch the bus, but what would he do? And the answer is, it's, it's so, you know, <laughs> there's no way for us. And that's the same thing is true with us. 
I can apprehend God. I can come into his presence. I can see and know things about him. I can know his nature and his character. There's so many things that God is inviting me in to understand who he is and how he works in this world and how he wants to work in our world. It's why it's so important to read scripture, so important to learn and to study, to be approved. The Bible says not be approved in, in, in approving us um, because we've done good things and so now God likes us. No, no, no. It's being approved and understanding and coming into alignment with who God is and what he says about you and what he says about me. And knowing that, it makes you look at yourself differently. It makes you look at your brother and your sister differently. Because one of the things, I, it's very easy to judge other people. I do it often when I'm driving. Those, those people that drive, if, if just the whole world was one big highway for me, I would be so happy. So I, I have a fantasies about the walking dead. I don't care about the, the walk. I just care about the fact there's no traffic on the road. And I'm like, that that would be, no, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> but some of you guys, you understand what I'm saying. You're like, oh, these people. If that, and then if you're, if, you're, if you're mindful what the Lord does says, well, what about, you know, what about in pointing at that person? You point back, you know, you realize you're pointing some of that back at you. And it just helps us as we understand God and understand his ways. It helps us change how we see it. So God grants this man the ability or this incredible honor, a better way of saying it, of, of seeing the Messiah before he dies. And so we read the story on. Um, he's, again, a prophet, and he's there to prophesy to Mary and Joseph. And so for some reason, they, Joseph and Mary hand this baby to this man. Like, I, again, they don't know him. Um, it's apparent in the text. But they hand this baby over, and he holds the baby, and he prays this blessing over them. He, so he blesses God for allowing him uh, to fulfill his life's purpose. He tells God he's ready for death now. He recognized this is the Messiah. They, the, Mary hears this. I'm pretty sure Mary and Joseph by now have got a handle on the fact that this is no ordinary baby, right? It's like, but it's also confusing because they're having to take care of this baby. I mean, think about uh, the, the juxtaposition God put them in. I mean, literally, Mary is nursing this baby. This baby, baby, from Joseph's perspective, is helpless. If this is God, if this is the Messiah, why is he so helpless, right? And you see the story that God uses Joseph in a dream, and here's the supernatural weaving in again, uses Joseph in a dream to uproot his entire family and move, become a refugee in a whole other country, right? I mean, long, long ways away. Huge. You think the journey that they had when the baby was going to be born, they, they're forever away, and they go there, and they're there for years, and the Bible doesn't even talk about his time in, in, in Egypt. But the point is, is that, that most of our, uh, uh, Joseph sees this, or hears this dream, or has this dream, and God gives him a, a direction. Why? To protect this innocent, helpless baby from a king. And I'm like, God, that big, why would you do that? I don't understand. I just don't understand. And again, part of it, I think, is just to remind us that it's not God doing all of it, and it's not us doing probably any of it, but <laughs> some of it, right? So there's this still this connection that God says, I, he could have done it however he wanted to do it, but he chose to use you and I. That's a beautiful picture of Christmas, helping us understand that this journey I have is not insignificant at all. Matter of fact, he again points out over and over again the insignificance of all of these people and places and times and events that make no sense outside of his story is his story, and it's how he chooses to tell it. And so how he's doing that in you is also amazing and a miracle. So going on with Simeon, he goes through this whole process. He describes Jesus as God's salvation and he says it this way, God has prepared in the presence of all peoples 
This is interesting because he said this. He goes on, he says that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now imagine the setting. Where is he? They're in the temple, right? He's a prophet of God. Joseph and Mary are part of that. The Bible goes through, uh, again, great pains through Matthew to, to speak to their lineage. Both of their lineages is why they don't line up because he's talking about Joseph and Mary and their lineage. And it's, and it's clear that it's the lineage through David. It's clear that it's prophetic. It's a sign. It's, it's a picture. It goes through this whole process. And now this man stands there, holds this baby up, says the consolation of Israel. This is his name, right? So it's beautiful. It's powerful. And he says, also, he will be a light to the Gentiles. And everybody in the room went, er, what? What do G- Gentiles aren't anywhere near here? We don't even let them in that, that, past that wall out there. They can't even come here, right? And, and I think Diane was talking about the, the aspect in, during prayer time about, about Passover. And certain people were not allowed into the Passover because they were Gentiles who had not yet been converted. And so the picture of this again is, God, we're looking at this and he goes, going to be a revelation to the Gentiles. And that's a quote from Isaiah. Why does he do that? He said, he said this, God's doing this to, in this story, in the story of the Jewish culture, that the Messiah is going to be the consolation of Israel. Yes, that's true. But he's also going to be a revelation to the Gentiles. And so you see this expansion, this picture that the Jews had, that he was only going to be the Messiah to the Jews. That's what they thought. And, and here's the prophetic word to Mary and Joseph and saying to all of us, obviously, through the recording of it, that Luke gets this story more than likely from Mary. And, and you see this picture that he is the light to all of the Gentiles. The whole world has access to the Savior. Powerful when you think about it. So he tells Mary, he starts prophesying to Mary now. So he says these beautiful things, but he doesn't stop there. And this sometimes, I, I don't understand how God does this sometimes, how he does things a certain way. Or, you know, people say, well, ultimately God allows it, and that's true. But God doesn't allow anything for no reason. God is not an arbitrary God. So it's helpful as you understand and learn about God, you discover his will, his purposes, his plans, and the way he does what he does. The Bible says his ways are not like our ways, right? They're different, which means you and I have to learn them or we will be frustrated all the time. So one of the answers to your frustration is alignment, understanding, and learning scripture. So he goes on, prophesies to Mary. He says, um, he's here for all people, first of all, and then he directs the words to Mary. And he says, he'll be accepted by some, but opposed by many. He will force people to choose, right? And then he said, he's going to divide world history and all of mankind. And basically he's saying, nothing will ever be the same after his life on earth. When this baby grows up and does what this baby is going to do, nothing will ever be the same again. It's been promised. There's a moment in history that has come on this day. And hear this. This is why it's so powerful what God, how God does this. This was an ordinary day. Everybody around them except this small group of people, those three, four, counting the baby who we probably didn't understand, and maybe some people who heard it outside of that, the consummation of history was occurring in that moment. And to everybody around them, it was just another Tuesday, right? But to God, God said, in this moment, I'm, I'm changing things forever. And for you and I, one of the big moments that happened in us is the moment we gave our life to Christ. I remember praying that prayer, and I didn't feel like, you know, fireworks went off or anything like that. But something had changed eternally inside of me 
And I would begin to see the fruit of it, even though I, I, I did feel different. I remember walking out. I got saved in the, in the Alps. I walked out, strangely enough, and looked at the mountains and the trees. And I, I still remember this to this day. It was in October. It was beautiful. And the trees had their arms up in prayer uh, and praise. And the mountain majestic peaks were an arrow pointing to the God I had not seen. And I remember seeing that for the first time. And all of a sudden, having this sense of being, being pressed into something way, way bigger than me. <laughs> and it's been a journey ever since, and it, and it never changes. God's constantly do that. So then he comes and he prophesies, this man Simeon prophesies to Mary, and he says some unhelpful things, or so it seems. He, he says to Mary, there's going to be a sword that's going to pierce your soul. I mean, not what you want to hear. I mean, you just came out of giving a, you know, having this baby. You had to offer a, a, an offering for your uncleanness. It's already challenging. You're poor. You can't afford a lamb. And now the prophet comes and tells you, and goes, I know this is exciting, this is amazing, and the angel says it's all beautiful, and it is, however, also, there's some stuff that's coming. Why, why did he say that? Part of, the, part of that is why you and I need to remember that it's, they're, they're, we still live in a broken and a hurting world. We're not in heaven yet. And so there's a mission that all of us are on, that we, Jesus came into the brokenness, and he's not going to let us not do that either. We're going to come into the brokenness. We're going to minister into people's hurt. And we talk about as we become more and more missional as a church, what does that mean? And one of the things that it means is that we have to come into the place where we're connecting with people in their story, and their story may not be very pretty. It may not be beautiful. As a matter of fact, it probably is very, very broken. But we get to come into that moment. What to them is an ordinary Tuesday. But for us, we recognize it as something being eternally planned, and God has something he's going to do. So he tells Mary, he holds the baby, and he tells Mary about what's going to happen. He's, of course, prophesying about the cross, but nobody knows about the cross yet, right? And he basically is holding this baby and saying this, this baby in all his splendor and all his glory ultimately has come to die. Now, if that won't put a damper on your Christmas spirit, I don't know it will, right? <laughs> so why do I say it? Um, so often we hear stuff like that and because we're so used to in the world hearing bad news and that bad news being ultimate, right? But even in this, even in this moment, he's saying something to Mary that the pain that she's going to feel, think about this, is like no other pain that any other mother has ever experienced in all of eternity or ever will. There was something special about Mary. There was. <laughs> And God's reminding her. Now think about this. She's probably in her mid-teens, right? Because they got married way younger because they didn't have PlayStation back then. So kids matured a little faster, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so here's, here's Mary. She's in her mid-teens. Joseph is probably older, right? And she hears this. So now take that and move it forward about 33 years. How old is Mary? She's probably in her early to mid-40s, right? Um, Joseph is no longer there. We, God never tells us a story of what happened with Joseph. We know the story up until he about, he's about 12. After that, it goes silent. We know Joseph was a good man. So many amazing things about Joseph. We could preach that all day long. It's incredible. But something, Mary is now a widow too. And she's got other children. They don't accept Jesus for who he is. So Thanksgiving's super awkward every year, right? So now Jesus is dying on a cross. And Mary is standing there because she's there in that moment at the cross. All the disciples, except I think one John maybe was there. Um, and we know that because Jesus speaks to John. He says, hey, hey, John, I know before, you know, we talked about this, but now your mother, this is your mother now. 
He's basically saying, hey, would you, as, as one of my best friends, would you look after my mom? Well, I mean, think about the, the natural part of that as Jesus, right? Even making that statement that, would you look after my mom? Fully also, at the same time, fully being God, knowing that this, these moments of challenge, these moments of sadness, these moments of because there's a broken world and there's a plan to get it fixed, all of that's going to pass away one day and all of it's going to be glorious and we're all going to be heaven and it's going to be amazing and ah, worship, everything's great. In all of that, Jesus still dies on a cross and, and he still tells John, take care of my mom, right? And Mary, I'm sure, remembered because she felt the pain of a spear or a sword piercing her soul. But at the same time, it's juxtaposed with he's the Savior. And she even talks, the Bible even talks about that. And again, points out that, that Mary accepted her own son. Again, she was born from his body, but Holy Spirit, you know, wasn't a man involved. I mean, we know the story. And so now she's having this massive sorrow that's piercing her soul. And hear this, because this is so amplified at Christmas, that in all the sorrow that's piercing her soul, the prophecy from Simeon, from when the baby was just a tiny little baby, she's feeling it all. And at the same time, remembers he's also the consolation of Israel and the revelation to the Gentiles. And that whatever's coming next, I'm not 100% sure about, right? But whatever's coming next, God has it in his hands. It's going to be amazing. And if that's not the story of Christmas, I don't, I don't know what it is. So there's a beautiful picture of God in his humility. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have time to go into this today, so I'll pick it up next week. But Jesus, the Bible speaks to Jesus coming and saying, I'm coming from heaven, from glory. I'm laying down some, certain aspects of my Godhead. He, he never stopped being God. He just limited himself is what scripture teaches. And he says he, he became a man. And so, again, why did he do that? And, he, and this is what Scripture says. I mean, not Scripture. This is what is, is, is popular in theology, in church world. They'll say, Jesus became a man so he could understand our frailties and understand, you know, the brokenness and the hurt that we have as a people so that he could identify with us. Wrong. I want you to think about this for a second. Engage your, the brain God gave you. Do you think God being God needed to come to earth to understand anything? Of course not. He understood it 100% completely. There's no possible way he missed any aspect of it. He never needed to do that so that he could understand us. But why do you think he did it? So that we would know his willingness to submit to this plan, to, to show us a model of what God is asking all of us to do. To submit to a plan that sometimes doesn't make sense. Not sure how it's going to work out. Remember the story, and Diane referenced it when we talked about communion. When he said, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it. But if not, nevertheless, if it can't, if there's any other way, boy, I, I would really like to, you know, maybe I missed it. Maybe, and again, this is his humanity side. I'm, I, I need to be careful putting words into Jesus' mouth. But he said, if it can pass from me, I, I want it to. But if, it's, if this is the only way, your will be done, right? And so that's the picture of Jesus teaching us, modeling it. But again, look at his life. The story between his birth and his death is a model of the supernatural and the natural intertwining on a regular basis. Remember the story of the little boy 
um, in, the, in feeding the, the multitude with bread and fish. So what does he do? He's like, what do, we, what do you have in your hands? And he's like, I got this, this fish, I got some bread and fish. And, and the disciples say, hey, Lord, look at all this challenge. You should send them away to McDonald's or whatever because, you know, it's time to eat. <laughs> and I love what Jesus said to the disciples. You do it. You feed them. So let me just, before I wrap this up and close it, let me just say this. So often we come and say, God, whatever you're going to do, you do it. You don't need me. Whatever, whatever happens must be the will of the Lord. By the way, that's Islam um, theology, Muslim theology. That's not Christian theology at all. Whatever is going to happen, it's going to happen. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Why would you pray if that's the case? Why would you plan? Why would you do anything? The issue isn't what God's going to do what he's going to do. Ultimately, we know that's true because he's sovereign. That just means he's a king and he rules. And so he's going to have his way. But the day-to-day, the things that are happening, you see the intertwining where Jesus goes and he says, hey, I want you to do this. That story should have been the disciples doing that miracle. It wasn't. It was Jesus one more time showing them this is how God does it. You can trust him. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. It turns out if the problem's bigger than you, the solution's probably also bigger than you. Right? And so he's teaching us this constantly. And so Jesus in his birth, in his life, and in his death is teaching us what a perfectly submitted man looks like. Perfectly submitted to the will of God. Lord, I don't understand it. Some of this is going to be me hiking into Samaria. I'm not exactly sure what is going to happen in Samaria. Turns out there's going to be a woman at the well. Um, I don't know when he knew that was coming, but at some point the disciples figured it out too. The whole point is in this natural and supernatural intertwining, what we're always looking for is that moment where constantly we're in connection with God and saying, God, is this a natural moment where you've given me a brain, you've given me strength, you've given me breath, and I can, I can serve with my own hands to do and be in alignment with your will? Or is this a moment, Lord, where everything I have is not going to be enough and you're going to have to do something supernatural? If it is, then Lord, I submit to that too. And I say, Lord, use me. Because even in that, he's not going to do it in a vacuum. He's going to do it in and through you, and that's what Jesus came to teach us. So here's the natural and the supernatural. Here's the the great sorrow that Mary's going to feel intertwined with the great joy. Here's the promise of the Messiah and the birth. Here's the fulfillment of the Messiah and the death. And, And we think of death as the end, and God goes through, again, great pains to show us that death in you and I might be forever, but for Jesus, it's no different than sickness, and he can heal both. And at some point, if you give your life over to him, um, I kind of felt like saying this before. I know some of us have struggled with depression. It's not a small thing. But what depression is, is depression is the ultimate. It's, it's I feel and sense and all these circumstances are against me and, and there is no answer. And that's not how Jesus does it. He says anything that has no answer, I'm the answer to. <laughs> and what that looks like, and this is maybe what I can leave you with this morning, I don't know. So often, I don't know how God is going to do what God said he was going to do. But I can say this. The most important thing you can do as a believer is ask these two questions. Lord, what are you saying? What have you said in Scripture that I I know is true? 
What are you saying to me personally? Lord, you said go into all the world, but you didn't say to go to China or to go to the Philippines. So Lord, I know I'm supposed to go. Maybe it's to go to my own backyard. Lord, I know you said go. Where am I supposed to go personally? You can take all that and you have all that in the book, but at some point, it's gonna take a personal relationship. And I wanna challenge you with this. If you're in a situation as we come into these holidays and you see the end of something, you see no possible way out, you see a situation that cannot be solved in the natural, then that means there's only one solution left, and it's the supernatural. And I just want to challenge you to trust him in both. Trust him in the natural. Trust him in the daily grind. But at some point, to put your faith in a supernatural God. That doesn't mean against nature. It just means above it. And how we do that well is to submit our plans, our purposes, all of our life, submit that into the hands of someone who actually knows what they're doing. Amen? Would you stand with me? I want to pray over us. And again, just, uh, just let the Lord move in you this, uh, this morning. Karen's going to come up here in just a second and share about some of the words that are up there. And the reason we do that again is just because the Lord wants to meet with you personally. So let me just pray over us. So Jesus, Lord, thank you for these stories. Lord, you, you gave them to us on purpose, Lord. And there's a, there's a sermon, there's a, there's a message in every single one of them, Lord, sometimes to the degree that it's hard to even capture. So, Lord, would you speak to us during this Christmas season, Lord? Lord, there may be things in our life that you've been wanting to sort out for years, and up until now, we haven't been able to hear it. But, Lord, let this be this season. Let this season be the season of change. Let transformation really occur. And, Lord, if I'm honest, Lord, I want to come to you, and I want to submit my heart, my life, my direction, my purpose, my plans. I really, don't want, I really do want to submit them to you. And I want to say, Lord, I want to humble myself before you and say, I don't, I don't know it all, and I can't do it all. But you know it all, and you can do it all. So, Lord, teach me the part that I play in the natural, Lord, and teach me the part I play in the supernatural, because I play a part in both. And, Lord, I just want to hear your voice, and I just want to do what you say. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. This morning we just had some prophetic words that, um, and some words of knowledge as we gathered as a prayer ministry team. If any of these words that are on the screen resonate with you, we would love for you to come up front and receive prayer. If there's something other than what's on the screen, we would love to come alongside you and pray for you. I'm going to ask the ministry team to go ahead and come up to the front so that we can pray for you. Um, God bless you. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you Friday night and Sunday next week. And um, just bless you guys. We love y'all.